Good morning. Welcome to the weekly economic and market commentary. I'm Herb Morgan with Efficient Market Advisors. This is the economic and market commentary for the week beginning Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or on LinkedIn, just Herb Morgan. This commentary uh, is available with slides for direct download from our website, efficient-portfolios.com or via email subscription or as a podcast without the accompanying slides. The title of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears. Try to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical. Uh, every part of what you're about to see and or hear is designed for use with both investors and financial advisors, each of whom are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. Well, we, went, we, we wound up the month of May with a bang as equity markets rallied pretty strongly last week. You can see here uh, S&P 500 up about 1.2% on the week. Mid and small cap stocks outpacing nice bull market pattern there. Developed international kept up, actually slightly outperformed the S&P last week. And emerging markets really were the big winner. Uh, and the ACWI, which is a big combination of everybody and everything, up about 1.4% on the week. But interestingly, despite the massive surge in economic activity, the reopening, concerns about inflation, rising inflation expectations, bonds actually rose on the week. You can see it in the ag, up about a third of a percent. And long yields went down, meaning the price of the Barclays 20 plus Treasury Index was up a little over. 1%. And we're going to talk a lot more about inflation and inflation expectations as we move through the presentation today. But let's get into last week's economic data. Home prices continue to surge. And I'm not exaggerating with the use of the word surge. They're up 13.9% year over year, according to the Federal Housing Finance Agency House Price Index. That's a 14% year over year gain. Uh, that's for the period ended March. Uh, anecdotally, it sure seems like April and May are going to continue that trend of significant gains. Now, remember March a year ago, we were kind of shut down. So that year-over-year -year gain should moderate, but the monthly gains look set to continue. Similarly, we got the report from S&P Case-Shiller. That's the Case-Shiller Home Index. And they said 13.3% year-over-year by their measurement of home prices. Uh, it's the largest year-over-year -year gain since December of 2005. We all know what happened to house prices after that, after that was kind of a housing bubble, based a lot on how housing was financed back then. Things are similar, but different in many, many ways. Leverage ratios are certainly a lot lower. Uh, but the, the thing that people are seeing and that came out of the report is that this, this theory that started with COVID that is expected perhaps to continue post-COVID, that urban, uh, urban uh, homeowners moving more out to the suburbs, that's reversing a prior trend. Of all the major cities, the 20 major cities in the U.S., the three biggest, Phoenix, San Diego, and Seattle. So big gains in the West. Now, New home sales, however, declined, as did pending home sales. 
but it's because of the prices and the lack of inventory. It's not because of a lack of demand. Demand does not seem to be waning. New home sales fell about 6%. It was actually better than expected. They were expected to go down about 8%. Uh, and, and previously, there was a much bigger gain from the month before for March. So that was uh, revised a little bit uh, lower. But the real problem is uh, the median sales price. You know, I saw you, I gave you FHA and Case Shiller up about 13 but median, meaning most above and most below, as opposed to an arithmetic average, up 20%, 372000 That's really pricing a lot of people out of the new home market. Um, pending home sales, these are homes, you know, contract signed, ready to go, uh, fell 4.4%, was expected to go up at four-tenths of a percent. It was a third decline in the last four months. Same reasoning here. Lack of affordable properties are restraining the sales, lack of supply, plenty of demand because of the ultra low interest rates and the massive flood of money in the system. Household balance sheets are strong as of course they've, they've ever been. But all that being said, is the Fed going to start raising rates anytime soon? The answer is most likely no. To find out why, we look to this chart, which is the weekly initial claims for unemployment. Back before the pandemic, before the coronavirus pandemic, uh, going back to 2018, 19, and the beginning of 2020, weekly initial jobless claims had gotten all the way down to the low 200,000s. You've heard me say many, many times that you don't really have a healthy job market until you're into the threes. And it's not a, it's not a, a buyer's market or I guess a worker's market uh, until you get into the twos. And in the low twos, that's when we saw, for the first time in a generation, real wage gains for, uh, you know, we, we talk about the, the, the growth of the economy, we talk about the, uh, the dichotomy and the sharing of that growth and expansion and the haves and the have-nots and that spread between the haves and the have-nots. You don't really get uh, any closing of that spread unless real wages go up, and real wages can't go up unless you have uh, um, a very, very tight labor market. So we did see it decline last week, 444 to 406. So it's tighter than the 6.1 million a week in April of 2020. Continuing claims were down again, but this is not yet a job market where uh, the average worker's real purchasing power is going to go higher. It needs to be tighter. And that's what the Fed is focused on. And of course, they've got their eye on this inflation component, and they're, they're stating that they believe that the inflation component will reverse, and the reason they want that to happen, there's really, I think, two. Number one, I think the primary is they want to continue to see the job market strengthen, but number two, in an unofficial nod to the debt level of the U.S. Treasury, inflation would be a pretty good thing indeed for the U.S. Treasury. Let's get on to durable goods orders for the month of April. It fell about 1.3%, but back out transportation up 1%. Capital goods backing out military and aircraft gained 2%, 2.3%. That's the largest jump in eight months. So you just look at the little headline drop over here on the right. That doesn't tell the whole story. You need to read through the report, read through the report, back out that military and aircraft, very lumpy spending. And what you saw is the biggest jump in eight months. That was a, indeed an excellent report on durable goods. 
And gross domestic product, GDP, first quarter GDP, second print there came in 6.4%. That was unch from the prior report. Three big positive quarters in a row now of GDP growth after the recession, the two negative quarters. Uh, personal consumption revised higher, though, uh, to a, from a very high 10.7 to an 11.3. That wasn't enough to change the overall 6.4 number on GDP. And incidentally, you know, we are now tracking uh, for uh, GDP growth for this quarter now is over 9% GDP growth for uh, Q3, um, excuse me, for Q2, which just is about to end at the end of this month. Moving on to personal income and spending. Personal income has been really distorted uh, by the presence of um, transfer payments or stimulus checks. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, I mean, if you want to go really high level from an economic perspective, it, you know, what we've done is we've broken the model and changed the model, the recession model. The recession model was really, if you go back to the 80s, primarily a monetary policy issue. And now we're this new concept of, hey, how do you get out of recession? Just give everybody money, um, the helicopter money that Ben Bernanke used to talk about was from the Fed, was money supply. But direct transfer payments to citizens and to businesses uh, is, is at risk of becoming the new policy default in a recession. Uh, may or may not have the best of consequences that will be debated by many. But that is really where we are. And it's important to understand that because we attacked this recession not just with monetary stimulus, but with massive fiscal stimulus, absolutely massive, unlike anything we've ever seen. So April personal income fell 13% because in March, people got stimulus checks. More importantly, what we saw is wages and salaries up about 1% for the month. And the personal saving rate is still incredibly high, which by the way, is part of the fuel for real estate prices. And it's part of the fuel for stock market appreciation, right? A lot of that money ultimately finds its way into the market via investment or via consumption, which leads to corporate profits, which leads to a higher market. Personal spending though on the month up half a percent, following a massive almost 5% gain in the prior month. All of this monetary support, all of this fiscal support is leading to what the number one conversation that I get over my weekends uh, and my social time about is inflation. And quite frankly, with calls with all of you as well. And you're right to have that question naturally. This is the Fed's measure of inflation. And what I said to you last month is it hadn't broken through that 2% barrier yet. And now it certainly has. April PCE is up 3.6% year over year. That is the blue. The core backing out food and energy is now up 3.1%. So we didn't just break through a little bit through the 2% target, we blew through it. Now, what the Fed is saying is, look, year over year comparisons from when an economy was shuttered and shut down and prices were plummeting, of course they're going to be high. Okay, I buy that. So will they come down? This is the, I don't wanna say the gamble, but this is the position the Fed has taken. We're not gonna re re reduce asset purchases yet. We're not gonna hit hike rates yet because we don't think this inflation is going to stick. We think it's going to come back the other way. Well, the poster child for discussions on inflation 
uh, of late has been lumber. Why? Because lumber, of all the commodities, lumber is the one that's gone up the most. It has the greatest impact on housing prices, of course. You need lumber to build a house. And so here is a chart. This is the generic first contract, first month contract that rolls of, uh, of lumber. And if you go back a year to where we are today, you can barely see this here, I apologize, but we're up 258%. We were up even more. The high, which was really just less than a month ago, we are down 22% from the high. So this commodity, which was the poster child for the inflation spike, at least so far is doing what the Fed has said they predicted it would. Then if we take a look at the future months of this um, commodity, so the 1296, that's the price this morning when I took a screenshot, maybe about an hour ago. So that's the July contract. But the September contract is down, is lower by quite a bit, 1158, November down at 997. The further month contracts haven't really traded today, but when I look out here and I can see like, for example, the bid, the bid on May of next year is 800. Well, that's another 30% lower than we are today. So that's a pretty significant transitory inflationary effect that the Fed is predicting. Perhaps they're looking at some of these commodities and futures markets. But I use lumber because it's a bit of an extreme example. If we, if we use crude, crude oil, the, the backwardation, backwardation is when the future months are cheaper than the present month. That doesn't happen very often or that often. Usually the future months are more, meaning the market's predicting in slow, steady inflation. The future months, when they are higher than the present month, we call that contango. That's a more normal approach, quite frankly, more normal scenario. Today, even in something like crude oil, which you can see July here at 68.60, and if we go to May of next year, it's down at 63.50. So that is in backwardation. So we do have backwardation in many of these commodities, which suggests that the Fed may have a point here. Okay, moving along. So when will the Fed start to get worried? Will one month of a huge spike in core PCE, and a couple of months, by the way, and CPI and PPI, and then, of course, we know rising wages, we know rising prices of everything we consume, we're all seeing it, when will the Fed say, hey, our inflation mandate that we got from Congress is more important than the full employment mandate we also got from Congress, or we've met our full employment mandate, we need to start worrying about inflation. Well, when they start to start to think, remember the Fed said we're not even, Chairman Powell, we're not even thinking about thinking, but since then, we've had Lael Brainerd, we've had Clarita, and, a couple, and Kaplan from Texas, a couple of them have all said, you know, it is time that we start discussing the timeline to reduce the policy accommodation. So currently they're buying 80 billion a month in treasuries, 40 billion a month in mortgage-backed securities, and they're going to start talking about it. My guess is they start talking about it this summer, which is upon us, uh, with the Jackson Hole meeting, and give us some sort of clarity with the testimonies before Congress that will happen later this summer as well, the two houses of Congress. So therefore, when will they we reduce the purchases? Likely late this year or early next year, dependent entirely on the jobs numbers and the inflation numbers. Not so much about whether the stock market goes higher or real estate prices go higher or lumber trades higher or lower. 
but these two specific numbers are going to dictate when they feel they can reduce the 120. So then there's going to be sub subsequent months or quarters of reduction till you get that to zero. At the same time, they'll probably continue reinvesting the maturing proceeds and it will be some time before they actually let that run off and start to raise interest rates. That's Fed funds and discount. Likely late 2022, maybe 18 months from now, again, dependent on job creation and inflation. And we have to wait and see. So I think I get a lot of questions. Look, inflation's here. The market's come up a lot. I think I need to run for the hills. I think I need to reduce my equity exposure. My question, my, my, my response is your inclination is right-ish, but I think we need to let it play out. We need to be far more patient than we're being. Enjoy these gains we're getting. We're starting off June 1st here this morning. We have a nice big run-up in uh, stock prices. So Chicago PMI came in, another reason to stay long here, uh, 75.2. I went to see if there was ever a reading. There was a couple of readings in the 80s at 75.0. It uh, looks like it was the highest reading of all time. New orders rising to 80 suggests that the nation's factories are still accelerating production, still working through bottlenecks in the supply chain. No end in sight uh, for this melt up. Remember, I mentioned last week, and I'm beginning to get more confident in that, that June and July may well be a melt up in equity prices as opposed to this sell-off we're all sort of waiting for this correction. Remember just last month, a few weeks ago, we were worried we might be in a correction. We got like a 4% correction. And here we are this morning, just ticks away, ticks away from an all-time high, both the S&P 500 and the Dow. Now the NASDAQ has lagged a little, still positive having a great year, uh, but that's because there's been a resurgence in value over growth, value-oriented stocks versus growth. We're okay with that, we're okay with that. Um, talk about um, the two uh, consumer indicators, their confidence levels, one from the conference board and the other from the University of Michigan. Uh, both of them fell and reported lower last week, below expectations. Both of the, of the consumer sentiment indicators, here's conference board, here's Michigan, both citing concerns about inflation. Inflation is really front and center for everybody's mind. I get it, but I also get what's happening in that backwardation of those markets. I also get the year-over-year -year baseline comparisons, and I do think we need to um, be patient if we're thinking about reducing equity exposure here. And that's exactly what we discussed in depth at our last investment policy meeting. We've elected to stay overweight equities here, uh, at least for one more meeting and perhaps further. Okay, this week, lots of economic data. Uh, the market and the ISM manufacturing PMIs for May construction spending, auto sales, which remember last month, surprised to the upside in a very big way at 18 and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if we were above 18 million again. Incidentally, I flew over the weekend. The airports were very crowded. Uh, we didn't quite get to 2 million people on planes this weekend. It came in at about 1.9, I think on Friday and, and Monday in the 1.9 range, but I think we're getting closer and closer to cracking that 2 million range, likely to happen sooner rather than later, 2.2 is back to normal. So we're really getting very, very close. I mentioned jobless claims down last week. We expect them to be down a tad again this week. Then we start getting into actual jobs reports. The ADP number is expected to come in at 680. That's a good number. 
Uh, we've got productivity, labor costs, the two services PMI is expected to be, you know, outstanding. And then the big jobs report, expecting to go below 6%, 650, 660,000 jobs. All of these are expected to be good. Any major disappointment there, I don't think would disappoint the market. Because if jobs disappoint, it means the Fed is lower for longer and stimulative for longer. If, if jobs exceed by a lot, it may signal a sooner end, and you may actually see a little sell-off uh, if we far exceed those two jobs numbers. But I think jobs numbers are just incredibly important. Don't forget, uh, tune in LinkedIn, Herb Morgan, Twitter at ETF underscore strategist for more than weekly updates or stay tuned here on your favorite podcast platform. I thank everybody for tuning in. I'll be look forward to seeing you all again next week.